Hello, White Rabbit. With whom are you talking today? Today I'm talking with Yeteke, the team lead of the lower elementary and upper elementary groups at CASA. In the first part of this deep dive episode on the subject of benchmarking children's progress, Yeteke explains in a nutshell how the Dutch government provides guidelines for primary school curriculums. She also walks us through the special way in which CASA structures and implements her curriculum, and discusses how CASA uses standardized testing to complement the way in which the guides assess the children's individual progress. Enjoy! Well, Yeteke, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I've been looking forward since the day that uh, started this for this conversation, because I think this is the topic number one that every parent wants to get addressed how the progress of children are being assessed at CASA. And I would like to start this topic from the top, at the level of the school, let's say. Um, It is my understanding that the government has certain guidelines for the schools on uh, the level that the child should get when they leave school and go to high school. So... Can you explain us how this works? Yes, uh, indeed, the government has a curriculum. They have an idea about what children need to learn in elementary school. And that curriculum covers all the areas that you can imagine. So it's math, language, geometry, geography, biology, history, and so on. And at CASA, we do offer all that that is in that curriculum that is uh, uh, suggested by the government to do. The government also gives some guidelines on when these uh, things are being offered in the curriculum. And they do that because, so for example, they say six-year-olds, they can get this in the curriculum and seven-year-olds get this. And then people who make methods for language or geography or history, they use these uh, benchmarks or these guidelines to make their books. So then all the methods cover similar things in that year for a six-year-old or for an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. Now, however, in CASA, of course, we don't use books. We use the Montessori method. Now, the Montessori method covers everything in that curriculum and more, but we don't follow exactly the same um, progression as what they might do in the books. But in the end, they they will get it all. And we adjust it either to the child or our, the interest that we think that the group has at that moment. But by the end of the, the road, in the end of the road, when they graduate from CASA, they have, we have covered that whole curriculum and usually more than that. So Yeteke, can you give us an example of one of these guidelines? You know, just so the parents get a feeling for how specific it is. It's very specific, actually, and it's uh, it's open to the public, so you can even look it up online. But it could, for example, say for history that the child has knowledge of the Second World War and the Golden Age and um, the Prehistoric Age and so on. So it's that in detail. Now, knowledge is a big word because that is not really being set even in the curriculum from the government, like what does knowledge mean? Does it mean the child has heard of it? Or does it mean he can memorize everything? Uh, Another example might be the child needs to learn fractions. It needs to be able to, um, as a say, an eight-year-old, it needs to be able to 
understand what a fraction is and maybe add them up. And then maybe for a 12-year-old, we expect children to be able to multiply with fractions. That, that's then a benchmark that we expect them to be able to do when they leave school. And at CASA, obviously, we work with fractions. The interesting thing is that sometimes we even start with fractions already in children's house. So while in the regular school system, you might uh, encounter fractions when you're 9 or 10, maybe at CASA you already encounter it when you're 6. But that doesn't really matter because in the end, we're all working towards the, the curriculum, through the curriculum, and um, we cover all these areas. Well, this is very interesting because it, it um, gives me the impression that there is no clash between the guidelines that the government is providing you and the Montessori methodology that you are applying at the school. Yes, yes. The, 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 the government and the inspection who is checking the schools, they give the schools a lot of freedom. Um, they do come into the schools and ask you, so what are you doing for biology and what are you doing for history and what are you doing on math? But they let you very free on how to implement these things in your school. So for us, that's great because as a Montessori school, we do things might maybe a little bit different than other schools. Um, and at the end of the road, the government is interested in your uh, scores on, on only math and language, even though as CASA, we think there's much more important things to learn at school. And they have a certain expectation per school, depending on the demographics of the parents on what they expect of the children to score. Over the years, we have had a lot of graduates by now, I think uh, about 130 graduates over the years. They have all lived up to that expectation. So we, we have great outcomes in that. So that has never been an issue. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's the only thing they quantify and you know, they want to know. So since you are uh, on that topic, can you then give the parents an overview of what is it in a Montessori a school that you want the children to learn because you're telling me there are other things that we care more about so what are those things what could be more important than math and language <laughs> um, i like to summarize it uh, in a very simple way that we say you come to school to learn about the world about yourself and about others and to learn about the world you need to uh, be able to explore that world. So you probably need language skills. You need to be able to speak. You need to be able to listen. And you also at one point need to be able to read because otherwise you cannot explore the world. You cannot go on the internet or read books. You also need math skills because you need to be able to measure things and understand how science works and all these things. So the foundation for all these, uh, these things to learn about the world are being uh, set already at the toddler's and then in children's house, and then lower and upper elementary build up on that. So learning about the world is part one. Now the second thing is learning about yourself. And especially in lower upper elementary, that becomes a, a, bigger, a bigger issue. By uh, reflecting with your mentor about how you're doing, children constantly learn a little bit more about themselves. So they learn Maybe, oh, if there's an obstacle, how can I overcome that? Or if I'm fighting with a friend, what can I do to s solve that problem? Or what am I really good at? Maybe I can get even better at that. So we really try through reflection with the child that the child learns more and more about themselves. And then the third part, learning about others. That's also mostly a lower and upper elementary thing because you're not alone in this world. 
And we now know already through a lot of research that being successful in society, you need to be able to work together. The collaboration in companies, it's everywhere. So how do you behave yourself in a group? How can you step up as a leader? Or how can you be the one who's actually moderating? So all these things we are really focusing on. And that is that is such a huge part of our job. Yeah. So the math and language is a small part of it. In children's house, they don't really have the reflective meetings with the children because they're too young to really reflect on that. They maybe have little small conversations. But as soon as they enter lower elementary, then you start to have these conversations with children. And it's not just a one time a year conversation. No, these conversations happen like during the day or, you know, every week. Um, And also interesting to see is that children with each other start to learn these languages. And you hear children say to the other, oh, how does this make you feel? And have you tried to, um, you know, take this next step? So that's a really great uh, thing. And Kanye training, what we've heard in the previous episode from Jeanette, also really helps with that language because children become, for example, aware, you know, I'm maybe a child who tends to put on a yellow cap or tends to put on a black cap, but that doesn't define me because I can have choices. I can put on a white one on top of it and make an, another choice. So the self-awareness is such an important part of our work. Yeah, so first is self-awareness of your body and then is self-awareness of your mind. Yes. Of what are your thoughts, allowing the child to see the gap between what he's thinking and what he is doing. Because if, if they can see the gap, then they can make different decisions because everybody has nasty thoughts. You can have mm-hmm. nasty thoughts, especially when you are angry. But the difference between an animal and a person is that then what are you going to do about it? Yes. Are you going to act on, on those negative thoughts or mm-hmm. angry thoughts or are you going to remain calm? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Actually, they have a lovely exercise. In um, You probably also heard that we are working with positive discipline as a, as a philosophy or a method on how to work with the children, but also give children insight in themselves and in, and in others. And one of the exercises is called flip the flipped lid. And the, they teach the children to, to um, see their brain as a fist. So they make a fist. Oh, right. And um, they tell the children that in par- part in your brain is our reptile uh, brain. And we only have, when we are in fear or when something danger happens, we have three, uh, three things that we do. We want to fight or we want to... Uh, what is it in English? Flight, flight, or freeze. Yes. And when that happens, we show the children if you if you have make a fist and you cover your hands over your fingers, uh, that is normal. Your brain is at rest. But when you're in those fight, flight, or freeze mode, uh, your hands, your fingers move up, and we call that flipping the lid. The lid goes up, and in that stage, you cannot reason. Exactly. And. We just recently learned from one of our colleagues that those emotions actually only not last 90 seconds. And after 90 seconds, your lid will close. And now you have a choice to make. You can either choose to stay angry or choose to stay upset. Or you can say, you know what, this was not so nice, but now I'm going to take the next step. So when talking with the children, we'd like to make them aware about themselves, but also about the other. Because if you see your friend has a flip lid, leave him alone and give him that 90 seconds or maybe a little bit longer that he needs to go back into reasonable mode. And 
by teaching the children that, they become more forgiving to each other. Right. I understand that for parents, uh, having a way to quantify the progress is important because uh, there is limited contact between the parents and the teachers. So in the case of soft skills, clearly this is much more difficult. But I think it will help if you can provide parents with an understanding of how the teacher is accomplishing this. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you might know that we work with this system called MRX, which is just a, a program on the computer. And we designed that specifically for CASA itself. And in MRX, um, all areas in children's housing, in lower and in upper elementary, are described in very, in very detailed. Um, for example, it will say a child can cut a line with the scissors. Oh, right. Or it says a child can add numbers plus one. Right. This is children's house. Or a child is able to pour without spilling. Right. Now, in lower elementary, something can say a child can do uh, subtraction up to 10. Uh-huh. Or it says a child has knowledge of the leaves of the types of leaves of a plant. And in upper elementary, similar, it could be something like a child understands what the verb is. Yeah. Now, all these things are very detailed, uh, written down in that Emmerich system. And our guides observe our, our children daily, weekly. And in, through all these observations, they register that in Emmerichs. So they put in Emmerichs that they observe the child doing it. They either are practicing the skill or maybe they have improved the skill. Right. Or maybe they even mastered the skill. Now, especially when the children are young, they will master things at one point. If you can ride a bike, you probably will never not be able to ride a bike anymore. Right. The higher they come, it's harder to master things. That's because certain skills you might be able really good at, but you know you might also forget a little bit later. You know, for example, you can be really great at your multiplication tables now, so you could master it. But maybe over in a while, you know, you you get a little bit not so fast and you still know them so in lower and upper elementary very often improved is great you know if you're there that's what we're sort of aiming for right so the the all the guides make these observations they base that on what they see or what they talk about or the reflection that they have with the children and sometimes even when they take tests because we do take standardized tests they also take those information and use that in emmerichs now, then after uh, half a year, the parents are invited for a report meeting. And uh, from MRX, we extract a report that reflects a lot of these skills that they did. The reports are very detailed and it might say all these things that I just gave as an example, or maybe it's sort of a summary about these things. And that report together with the comments that the guides write in that report, because there's always a little written content, together with the conversation that they have with the parent, should give insight in what is the child working on and how is the child progressing. And the child itself also has these conversations with his guide, and the child can also tell the parents, this is what I'm working on. In lower and upper elementary, actually the children have an exact copy of Emmerich for themselves, but then in children's language. In uh, lower elementary, it's called the I can sheets, Okay. So it would say, I can add up to 10. In upper elementary, they, we call that the knowledge and skills book. And maybe it says, I have knowledge of the Second World War. And the child 
can show their parents, you know, this is what I've been working on and this is what I'm progressing in. And Oh, I see. So, and this is in lower and upper elementary? Yes. So if I go there in Wednesday, when yes. you have a time so the child can show you the classroom and so on, Yes. you can also ask your child, hey, can you show me your I can sheet and tell me how you're doing with that? Yes, they can. Do you also do that as a as a mentor? That conversation with the child or with the parents? No, the, the going over the I can sheet with the parents. We can, but usually it should be uh, synchronized because what we put in Emmerich's is usually a representative of what is in the I can sheet. Sometimes it's, it's not up to date, you know, you have been register something with the child or you put it in the computer, but we haven't updated it in the book for the child. Certain right. children come to us and they say, I am able to do this and I proved it already. And then we sign it off in there. I can sheet. And sometimes, you know, we forget or the child forgets. It's not really about that. We want to like check everything off like as a checklist. It's really meant for the children to have inside. If I'm in low elementary and I have three years, these are all the things I can learn. And in upper elementary, these are all the things I can work on. Yeah, I, I can see that it's also, um, it seems to me that you are doing also this to to help the child reflect. Yes. So, so yeah, you, I can imagine in lower elementary, you, you are more uh, on top of the child uh, doing the reflection. But perhaps in upper elementary, you, you are more into less... Let's help the child to do this by himself. Yes, actually in upper elementary very often, especially when they're almost graduating, they say, you know, I, I know I can do this and I, I can prove it you, to you in this way or I have shown it. And then they even can sign it up for themselves because, you know, it's it's their document and it's their progression. And oh, well, how nice. It's not me to be a judge on what they are doing. And uh, one of the pages in both lower and upper elementary is actually um, the first page is a social uh, development and social behavior and that's almost like the most important page because there the child can actually also set goals for himself to say you know i want to become a better leader okay how, how are we going to practice that and then they can develop in that skill or maybe one could be I want to be able to do the works that I don't like. I want to start with that right away. You know, I am I'm good at planning that. And the child can reflect back and say, yeah, you know, in the past, I always was avoiding the work I didn't like. But now this is the first thing I do in the morning. Right. So we we take the children also on that reflective uh, journey about learning about themselves. And I can imagine that you can also take that conversation to steer the child or push him because you you know what he's supposed to know yes and then by having this conversation you can also ask questions to try to trigger the child's interest into developing in certain aspect yes yes very much yes and that that goes for all areas like it could be in in social areas social behavior areas and also in mathematical or in geography areas so yes we, we try to um, always stimulate the child you know I, we haven't really seen you working much in that area are you maybe interested in doing a project about um, volcanoes or a project about birds or right. something like that i want to go back to something you said before on the testing because now you were explaining how you follow the child so this is indeed the 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 guide getting an impression of how the child is progressing. Mm -hmm. and But you mentioned also like doing intermediate testing. Mm -hmm. So 
this is like this standardized test that is being done to the children or what is this test because it seems to be something that is not as fluid as just an observation but really like now you're gonna sit and you're gonna do some exercises and we're going to let's say put number you know it's like check how good you are at this yes Yes. So can you elaborate on that a bit, in yes. lower and upper? Yes. Um, so as I said, our guides usually use observation to see how children are developing, and we do that throughout the whole year. And at the same time, we also are interested, and I'm, we also know that parents are interested in, you know, uh, can we also measure certain developmental things in the children? Now, so in Netherlands, they designed tests for certain areas, for math, for uh, technical reading, and for comprehensive reading. And we do these tests with the children from lower up to upper elementary, and spelling, by the way, that's sorry, I forgot that one. Um, and these tests are usually, um, are mostly used as an assessment tool, and it gives insight to both the child as the guide. The assessment tool that we use is called from the company IEP, and that means Inzicht Eigen Profiel. And in English, that is insight in your own profile. So when you take the test, after the test, you can take the child back to the computer and you can show them, look, these are the things that you did and you did well on them. And hey, these are the things that you still made some mistakes in. How come? Oh, maybe you forgot to answer and left it blank. That happens actually very often. Or they uh, maybe knew what the answer was, but they maybe added a zero or made a mistake. And sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Okay, great. Because if you don't know how to do it, this is an opportunity to take the next step or to learn. So we really see those tests as assessments. And we also make it really like super easy to the children to say, you know, this is a great opportunity. We're going to do these tests because we can see what you still can learn. And what's really important for the children to also see and for the parents to see is that the child is progressing yeah. compared to himself. So if a child had a certain score and then half a year later he does a test again, we would like to see progression because yeah. every child is progressing. But nobody is following the same line. And that's very important to realize as parents that your child is not a number, your child is not a robot, your child is not being able to be quantified into something, but we can see if the child is progressing. And the easiest progression you can see is in the reading tests. We do the, uh, called DMT, which is, means three minute test. And we do AVI, I don't know what that stands for actually, but um, it gives you a measurement on the, the level of reading for the child, technical reading. Yeah. And so a child can have AVI start or AVI 4 or AVI 5. And it helps you to go to the library. And on the books, it actually says what level. It has to do with the types of words, the length of the words. And for children, that is like the best progression you can make because you can see, oh, I've practiced reading. I got better at it. And that's, that's what we use tests for. And how often do you do this test in lower and upper elementary? It depends a little bit on the types of tests and also at the age that we start. So for math, I believe we already start when they're six years old, but for spelling, we start maybe a little bit later when they're seven year old. Um, comprehensive reading is also later. Obviously, you first need to be able to read properly. Certain ones are done twice a year. Actually, I think most of them are done twice a year. Um, yeah, so it gives you a little bit of an insight. The good thing about uh, the IEP um, 
company is that they design the test in a way that it doesn't matter when you take them. So even if you take them in October or you take them in November or December, it just adjusts their scores to that moment. While other companies sometimes say you have to do it in November because otherwise we cannot give you like an objective score or something. Oh, I see. But in my experience, it's not like uh, when I was talking to the mentor, I will hear, well, look, we did this test so many times and this is the progression mm -hmm. that we got. Is That's there a reason for this? Because it's usually not very interesting information to share because it's a, it's an assessment tool and we more use it with the child uh, to say, hey, what's your next step? Right. Um, if parents are interested in, in, in looking what their child is doing, they're always welcome to ask and we are welcome to show it to them. Sometimes parents ask, so uh, is my child, um, you know, developing as an uh, up to the average or is he above average or below average? That's always a really tricky question because children are not averages. Children are all have their personal development and that's not a linear line. Children go in waves for yeah. all the subjects in their lives, personal development, but also on math and on language and on, on interest in biology. So measuring a child and comparing them with others is not really interesting for us as guides. And we know that parents seek that. However, that is not how we like to work at Gaza. And we also tell parents who are at the start of our school that if you're looking for a school that gives you like hard data on how your child is doing and compared to others, and that if the child is maybe not doing as well as you might expect from this age group, yeah. and, and then CASA is not the school for you. If, if you as a parent are looking for that, then you better find a, a school that fits that expectation. So I understand that you do this uh, testing a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. That helps the child to reflect on his progress. And it helps the, the guide to see the progress of the child. Mm -hmm. What happens when the child is not progressing? Perhaps you have certain expectations, mm -hmm. perhaps about this. Like, look, this child, if he is progressing so slow, at the end of the primary school, he's not going to be ready to go to mm -hmm. high school. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an understanding of then what? Yes, of course that happens because... For example, reading, that's maybe a really easy one to, to see. If we don't see enough progression with the child, of course, we have little alarm bells are going off in our head like, okay, we are expecting certain progression. And there is, of course, a big width in where children are progressing in, but there needs to be some progression. And then we are going to make little help plans with the children. And uh, in the lower elementary, we, we make it as simple as possible with the child. In the upper elementary, we really try to involve the child as much as possible. And then we communicate also to parents and we say, you know, in the next, say, six weeks, we really want to focus more on, say, technical reading. And we're going to do that by every day, have a one-on-one -on -one reading for 10 minutes, or we're going to use word cards, or we're going to really, like, put more effort in it and see if that is, like, giving more results. And very often we also ask the parents to, at home, then put a little bit more effort in these things. Because, yes, it's okay that sometimes the development doesn't go as fast as, you know, what you're expecting. Or a child is maybe really focusing on math areas or biology and the reading stays behind a little bit. But it cannot be too long. So we do 
um, then provide little help in the class. And if that's not enough, then we even need to get maybe sometimes external help that children are being uh, supported in either math or language areas if we don't have enough time in the classroom. At the end of the road, all the children, uh, well, what we have experienced over the last, what say, six years that we have graduated, all the children will reach that goal one way or the other. Sometimes they need a little bit extra support and in certain areas they're better than in other areas, but they will reach what they at least need to reach. And there in, in the Netherlands, there's still a, a width uh, on uh, what the minimum is that they need to know. And then even better if they more, know more, of course. Yeah. And that has to do a little bit then with which high schools the children are going to. And uh, in the Netherlands, you have multiple levels in high school. And depending on the personality of the child, so the whole child, we as guides can give an advice to the parents and to the child. We think this level suits you the best. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned for the next one in which Jetake will focus on the standardized testing in upper elementary and preparing for the transition to secondary school. And of course, feel free to drop me an email to casastories at casaschool.nl if you have any comments, questions or suggestions for improvement. ¡Hasta pronto!